I'm Jean Marie. I'm an alcoholic. I'd like to introduce our speaker, Karen H. from Bakersfield. Hi, everybody. My name is Karen, and I'm an alcoholic. I want to thank you for inviting us to uh, come to your meeting and, and share our recovery. Um, I have a good friend at Bakersfield. He said, uh, make sure that you tell him you were born. That's the way he always starts his speeches, but I was born, you know. So I was born, guys. Um, <laughs> I always had a little trouble with that when I was in school. You know, when I first started, went to school, uh, everybody was talking about where they were born, and I didn't know where I was born. So I um, I went home, and the only person at home was my grandmother, and I said, Grandmother, where was I born? And she said, Oh, she said, You weren't born. And I said, What? She said, no, a bird poops you on the fence post and the sun hashed you out. <laughs> so guess what I did the next day at school, right? I told them I wasn't born. <laughs> and uh, the teacher sent me home. She said, I should probably talk to my mother about that. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was born in Wasco, actually. And um, I <laughs> a real farm girl, right? Um and um, my folks decided that uh, I should we should live in, in a big town, so we moved to Bakersfield. And I grew up in Bakersfield. Um, there were a couple people in my life when I was little that I thought were just outstanding people, you know. And, and I'm sure you have those in your family, too, when you were little. Uh, it was my grandfather. I didn't know my other grandfather because he died when he was 42 from alcoholism, and um, my grandfather that I did know, my dad's dad, he worked for the Kern Land Company, he ran the dairy, and he drove a great big truck, and he was a great big guy, and my little grandma was a little bitty lady, and he drank a lot, and he would finish work, and he would sit on their big porch in his cattle and chair, you know, the leather, the, the leather bottom seat that swiveled around, and he would smoke cigars and, and drink beer, and he would pass out a lot. And as soon as he'd pass out, I would drink his beer, and I would smoke his cigar. And I thought that was living. You know, that was great. And if the beer was empty, I would get up on the porch, and I'd run by him, and I'd say, Oh, hi, Grandpa, and wake him up. Because if he woke up, he'd go get another beer. You know, and early on I started figuring this kind of stuff out. Um, he was my idol. I thought I was going to grow up to be exactly like Grandpa, you know. Um, we used to go out to the dairy, and, and there was a, a concrete chute that this truck went through that they fed off of, and he would put a stick on the gas pedal and put it in the first gear, and I would sit there like I was driving, you know, I was just like my Grandpa, and he'd get it in the back, and he'd throw feet out to the cows on both sides, and I'd drive the truck, and... We would head back to the house, and he would turn in the yard, and then he would just lean on the door and fall out. And I would continue on to the bunkhouse, want to be just like my grandfather, right? And, of course, my grandma was little, so she couldn't wake him up. She couldn't move him, so she'd run in the house and get a kitchen chair and put over his head. Just like my grandfather, you know. I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't see anything wrong with that. I was probably about six or seven. Sounded pretty good to me, you know. And uh, so 
we moved to Bakersfield and I saw less of grandfather and I don't know, probably I got other people, but I remembered my grandfather. You know, he was that person that I wanted to be. You know, he was different. In high school, I I was probably just like my grandfather, you know. I, I drank a lot. I ran around. Um, used to take the uh, farm truck and go out with everybody else. I can remember going to the fair and and being just a little bit drunk and talking somebody into buying me the biggest bottle that I could talk them into buying me. And I remember, keep telling this story, but you know it's really how it was. I remember driving home one night and I saw Woggy Downs, which was our local highway patrolman. He lived right down the street. He knew me. And I was going down the street, I saw Woggy, and I thought, you know, I better get rid of this bottle because if he gets it, he'll take it. So I count the telephone poles, one, two, three, and I throw it out the window, right? So then I get down to the corner and I turn, and instead of swimming to my house, I turned the lights off and went the other way. And I went all the way around the corner without the lights, without touching the brakes, you know, you know. Got one, two, three, roll the truck over, roll the window out, roll out the window. Was out there in the field doing this, you know, at night. And I, I'm just sure I knew exactly where it was. And all of a sudden this light comes on over my shoulder. And I turn around and look and there's Logan and he says, is there anything I can help you find? So I kind of spent my childhood, you know, um, getting drunk, most of the time get drunk, um, trying to stay marginally out of trouble, but, you know, that, I went to Bakersfield High School and that was just trouble, you know. And um, my folks, the only thing that they wanted from me was to graduate. That's what they wanted me to do. I went to five high schools. They were always trying to keep me out of trouble, and it was always the people that I was associating with, you know. If I just associate with a better kid, you know, or be more like my sister, you know, and I'd say, oh, well, she's dumb and glum, and, you know, I mean, she doesn't have any fun. And um, in high school, they called me hall pass because I was the one with all the hall passes. I don't think I ever went to class, you know, and stayed there. I, oh, I got hall pass, I got to go, you know. And I'd be out of there in... Um, I did graduate. It was a miracle. If I hadn't passed that exit exam, I probably would not have graduated, but we didn't have them back then. Um, in the summertime, I had a job at the potato shed. And I used to be a sorter and get the uh, the uh, plot, the dirt out of there and everything. And then they found out it was really fast and I could sew. And so I got to be a sack sewer. Yeah, so I, they would set the sack down with the ears up, and I saw it, and done, and we got paid by the sack, you know, that we sewed, and I was really fast, and in the process, I got to be a good guy, good friends with the guys, you know, and uh, they would buy wine for me, and I found the little white pills with the cross on them, and I love those pills because they could make you drink more, they could keep you going, you could drink more, and in high school, you know, I could never understand a lot of my friends, they would go to the party, and then they'd go home. And then I'd go home with them and trying to get, I'd be knocking on the windows, you know, come on back out, you know. Don't stop yet. No, we're not done, you know. And I didn't understand that behavior, and they didn't understand that behavior, you know. Um, I tried college, and uh, that wasn't for me. 
I used to get as far as the tennis courts, and then I get tired and sit down. You know, and uh, everybody be going that way in the morning and coming back this way in the afternoon, and I go back that way in the afternoon. Well, one semester, and I figured that's not where I was supposed to be. Um, we um, used to sit under the trees. They called us the tree people, and we drank and. Um, we just kind of laid around, you know. Thought this college education wasn't going to be too bad, but um, it was a little boring. Um, about eight of us decided that we, that was when the San Francisco thing was happening, about eight of us decided that we were going to go to San Francisco because we had to shed ourselves of the society, you know, the, the establishment and all of this other stuff. And, so we made the big escape in this truck that we didn't know if we could get to Delano in it, you know. But we got there, and, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of party, and we had a lot of people around that were, as we know them now, big singers, you know, like the Grateful Dead and Janis Joplin, and uh, you could hear them all screaming in the neighborhood doing their thing. But, um, you know, I... I was always a thinker. I don't know about you guys, but I was always figuring stuff out, you know. Um, we would make wine, and we would steal grapes and make wine in the bathtub. And it was all a big party thing, you know. Everybody would take off their clothes and get there and stomp the grapes. And, you know, everybody was sampling it, and everybody was putting sugar in it, and it was, you know, getting pretty stout. And, uh, so I had this really great idea that if I could get some straws and some tape, I could tape these straws together and I could lay on the floor and I could put the straws in the bathtub and I could just lay on the floor in the bathroom and drink. Now that's pretty normal stuff, right? So here I am in my hippie guard, you know, and I go down to the establishment, the little, uh, it's uh, like a five and ten, they had a hamburger place in there. So I'm in there and I, you know, so obvious. You know, I'm sliding down the deal, and I get to where the straws are, and I'm poking them in my pants, you know, and I'm trying to be real discreet about this whole thing, you know. And uh, so I get them, they run me out of there, and uh, I go home and I take all these straws together. Well, I mean, I concentrated, I worked on it. You know, it was a job. And uh, <laughs> laid on the floor, put it over in the bathtub, gave it one big slug, man. And it spurted out everywhere. I mean, I had wine everywhere. It was all over my clothes, all over the bathroom. You know, it was bad. Um, I, I played in a band on North Beach. Um, my guitar didn't have strings, so I played the back. I was the percussion system of the, the thing. And, you know, it was a lot of fun, you know. Three or four years later, people started dying. You know, the whole scene turned the other way, and we got arrested one time. They didn't like to arrest us because they didn't know what to do with us. And uh, we were in, in Golden Gate Park. That was a, probably our favorite hangout. When we were hungry, we would go there. The, the tourists would come with their lunches. They'd sit down, and they'd start eating, and we'd sit down with them, and they'd leave, and then we'd have food. Um, but one night, we were... We were decided that we would uh, take all of our clothes off and, and leap down the hill in Golden Gate Park and like gazelles. Now, God knows what, why, who knows. 
Anyway, this poor little traffic guy, that's where they put the new guys, you know, out there on little Togo's and Park. He's going along, probably having a really nice evening, you know. And here we come. And and the only thing he could think of was halt. You know, so it worked for me, you know, so we're all standing there. There's probably a dozen of us. They sent the little wagon out. We all went to jail. The judge didn't want to see us. He said, you know, just get them to get somebody to get us clothes and get them out of here, you know. And, uh, you know, but it was those kind of things that were kind of fun. It was a community. I lived in a commune. Um, if we didn't have money for rent, we just stayed until they ran us off. Um, I had a little Volkswagen that we painted flowers on it. And the, and the top, you could see the flower on the top from the side because, you know, the best stuff was on the bottom. Uh, we painted an eye on the front with an optical cord going to the back with leaves. And I tell you this to prepare yourself that in 69 when I came back to Bakersfield after not making it too well, um, trying to get my life back together, maybe going back to college, you know, I had all these great aspirations. And I got stopped three times in about four blocks. Everybody wanted to see this thing, you know. Um, I don't know. My life was just, it wasn't, you know, when you get to that point and you think, this is not what exactly what I thought was life was supposed to be like. This is not coming together real well for me. And... Um, so I decided I'd always been in horses, and so I decided I'd look up a girlfriend, and she had horses, and maybe I could help her. Yeah, early on, we used to ride and train horses together, and we'd go to the bar. We'd drink, and they'd close the bar at 2 o'clock, and then we'd go home, back to her house, and we'd start training horses, breaking horses. I mean, some of these horses that we broke had never been ridden in the daylight, you know. We'd say, well, you know, we'd have this horse for sale, and we'd say, well, maybe we ought to ride it when the sun's up, you know, just in case, you know. But anyway, I looked her up, and I said, you know what, I need some help, and I need to get myself back together. And she said, great, I'm going to Turlock for a horse show, come on. Well, in the process of going up there, showing horses, and doing all the dirty work, and uh, running out of something to drink, we headed home. And she had this huge rig. You know, cut and roll, and it was really nice. Coming down 99, you know how 99 is when you're in a big rig like that. It's the front of the hood was bouncing like that. And I was just wanting to get away from her, you know, get well, get away from her. Um, you know, let me out here, you know, or whatever. And uh, on the way home, I saw these little people dancing on the hood. Now, I can't tell you whether they were little green people or what, but anyway, they were on the hood. And I'd close my eyes and I'd look again and, damn, they were still there, you know. So I thought, well, this real padded seat and everything, you know. I'd lean my head back like this and I'd just go to sleep. Well, you can't go to sleep. All I could think about was those little green people on the hood. So I opened my eyes and they were upside down on the tuck and roll on her cat. Well, I don't know how fast she was going, but it was late at night, and, and I know she was going pretty fast. And I took the tuck and roll out of her truck, um, piece by piece, you know, just trying to get those little guys. Um, 
when I was growing up, there was a guy at the horse shows that I used to attend that there was something about that guy that he was really different. You know, I didn't trust him. He had kids too, but, you know, I used to hide in the bathroom or if I saw him and I was drunk, I tried to hang on to the stall door, you know, and look sober, you know. You ever had that look sober kind of syndrome, you know, trying to look sober, but your knees are all buckled underneath you, you know. Well, anyway, I always kind of tried to stay away from this guy because there was just something different about him. Um, so when we got back to her house, she sent me doing all these things. It must have been one or two o'clock in the morning. You know, I was watering this horse and checking that horse, and she went to the house. And I thought, well, this is really rude, you know. I mean, after everything I've done for her, um, actually, she the inside out of her <laughs> truck, and um, so... I'm done with my last tour, and I'm walking down this alleyway, and there's overhead lights. And I look down there, and here she comes with this guy, this guy that I'd always run from. Well, his name was Bill, and he was an Alcoholics Anonymous, and I didn't know that. And that was my first introduction to Alcoholics Anonymous. I had no an idea of what Alcoholics Anonymous was. It's probably what you guys think was for the drunks, the you know, the the bums, and that kind of thing. Not not me, and um, she introduced me to Bill, and we sat down and we talked, and at that point, I was willing to agree to anything, whatever you want, you know. Um, he said, would you go to a meeting tomorrow? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, whenever, you know, and, and uh, he goes, okay, I'll have somebody pick you up. Well, I was living in a commune. I, you know, I didn't want them coming to the commune, so I said, well, I'll get myself there. Where are you? And he told me, and so I went. Now, there was nothing but old people in this meeting. And kind of like Al, I didn't hear a word they said, but they were all saying the same thing, you know. Keep coming back and take a drink today, put the plug in the jug, take the cotton out of your mouth and you know, out of your ears and put it in your mouth. And I think, well, that's dumb stuff, you know. doesn't make any sense to me. And so I continued to drink. I I just kind of figured AA was not for me. That's, you know, not where I belong because, you know, I was a high school graduate and apple of my folks' eyes and, you know, all this stuff that I could think of, you know, that, that I didn't qualify, shouldn't be here, I, you know, not me. And so I continued to stay out there, live in the commune. Um, if my car didn't have a starter, and in Bakersfield, you don't have the heels to, you know, get going. And so I would borrow other people's cars, and I would wreck them, and I would walk away from them. And then they'd say, well, where's the car, you know? And I'd say, oh, uh, it, it quit running. And they'd say, well, where? And I'd say, well, um, uh, you know, it's over there about six blocks, you know, and I'd boogie. You know, and then I'd be mad at them because they wouldn't loan me their car again. You know what I mean? I just I couldn't understand that. But anyway, I'm still living in this commune and I'm still drinking, still laying around the parks, um, doing as little as possible. And... One day I get picked up in the park, and I go to jail. And, you know, I'm very cooperative until they put the handcuffs on. 
And then once they put the handcuffs on, they don't want to fight. You know, figure that out. That's, you know, boy. You know, it's a done deal then, you know. And uh, I got in this jail cell, and, and I wanted out, and I had a little cup that gave me some water in, and I was banging on the bars, and it took that away from me, and then I started using my head, and uh, you know what? They sent, sent me over to 3D. And you can do all that crazy stuff you want, and they just, that's normal for them, you know. Um, they still had the inebriate court at that time in Kern County, and I got sent to uh, Patton State Hospital for six months for an evaluation. You know, they had to have six months to evaluate me, you know. I could have told them I was all right. Um, now, Patton may have AA. And they said, we think you should really go to AA, you know. And I said, well, I've been there. See, AA didn't work for me, and that's why I'm here, I guess, you know. So I don't need AA. You know, I need something else. Well, the something else was Thorazine. I used to get involved in the little Thorazine shuffle races down the hallways. and uh, but I was starting to run out of cigarettes, and the prime word for the AA meetings was they had a bingo game. And I had never played bingo before. And he said, well, if you go to AA, you could bingo and you could get cigarettes. Okay? So I went to bingo. I didn't go to AA. I went to bingo. And I got cigarettes. Um, I was first in line to go to bingo. Not to AA, but to bingo. And... Um, you know, after you're there about four months, you, you start to think about, you know, how am I going to get out of here, you know? Because you have a little board you have to go in front of and everything. And and um, so I, I saw some of the old-timers that were there in Patton. They had been through there a couple times ago, you know, and, and I said, well, what do I have to say to get out of here? You know, I'm ready to get out of here. And so I learned all the lingo and all the words that I had to say, like we alcoholics do, you know. We know how to work the system. And... I uh, I got out of Patton and I came back to Bakersfield and I'd like to say that I got sober but I didn't. Uh, from my first introduction it took me about four years to get back seriously and, and you know really want to do something. But anyway I, I had to go to meetings. I had a little court card and Ray East was our county guy and he ran the hospital meeting and you could sit in the darkest corner in the corner back there with no lights on you and he'd say, oh Karen, good to see you, you know, and so you couldn't get up and leave because he knew you were there. So, you know, I went to AA meetings. In the process of going to AA meetings, I saw a lady that I had grown up around the corner from. She ran the, she and her husband had the service station. Now, when we were kids, we used to run the bicycles over the bullhead so we'd have flat tires so we could go to the service station. Now, see, this is all this planning stuff. Go to the service station. He'd fix the flat tire, and whether he was fixing the flat tire, we'd rip him off for coats. She was there in Alcoholics Anonymous. I had no idea. So I was kind of ready, I guess. And when I saw her there, it was somebody I could talk to, somebody I knew. Um, I started going to the club meetings kind of seriously, kind of not drinking right now, you know. And we had a young people meeting. It was, there was 
four of us, five of us, I don't remember now, but they all had sponsors and I didn't have a sponsor. And I said, okay, next week I'll have a sponsor. So I asked Margaret to be my sponsor. And I went to the next meeting and I said, I got a sponsor. And they said, oh, who'd you get? And I said, Margaret. And they went, ooh. And and my first response was, well, I can get somebody else, you know. And uh, thank God I did, you know. I came out of Hatton and and I was getting the check from the state for $300. And I was pretty well set at the commune. You know, I had money. And um, as long as I went to meetings, I could continue to get my money. And I guess for life, I don't know, you know. (laughs) But Margaret had these sets of ideas for me as a sponsee. She made me do things that I didn't know how they were connected with AA, you know. She had me walk all the way down Truxton, which was a long ways, I mean, all the way down California to Truxton and back. And my job was to say hi to everybody I met. I didn't see anybody. I was sitting in the club, floating along, you know, doing really good, and she walked through the door, and Margaret was a big lady. And she comes through the double doors in the back, and there was this shadow on the wall. You could see without knowing it was Margaret. And I go, ooh. And she'd say, well, how many people did you meet? And I said, none. There wasn't anybody else. She said, well, I think you better do it again. And so I um, I did it again, and, and I found out that in sobriety that people aren't going to hurt you. You know, and I, and I learned how to talk. Um, in meetings that would come around to me, and I'd say, I pass. People thought my name was I pass. Um, one day she she had this real crazy idea that I needed a hobby. Now, what does AA have to do with having a hobby and not drinking, you know? And uh, so she said, well, you need a hobby. Okay, I, I'll, I'll tell I to take pictures. Okay. Well, you have a camera? Yeah, I have a camera. Okay. But my favorite word, but I can't go take pictures. I don't have any film. She said, look. She said, just go take pictures. So I went to the museum, and I spent the whole day at the museum, at outdoor kind of a thing, taking pictures. And all along I'm thinking, because everybody's going to want to know where I've been and what I've been doing, because I'm not hanging out at the club. And I couldn't tell them I've been taking pictures because they want to see the pictures, right? I mean, what kind of a superstar do they think I am, you know? Probably not qualified for AA, you know? And uh, But the one thing that I did realize that out of that little thing was that I wasn't thinking about myself. When I was looking through that camera, I wasn't thinking about myself. I wasn't the most important thing going on in the world today, you know? It was took my focus away. And she pointed that out to me. That I wasn't thinking about myself. I wasn't, I was doing something else without number one, you know. So, started doing the steps with Margaret. And she said that I had to change everything about my life. And she didn't like it. I said I was living in this commune. She said it was a spot where I could slip backwards 
because I was a slipper and slider. That's what she called me. I was a slipper and slider, and that was in a good place. So there was a guy that had the 12-step house for guys. They didn't have anything for women. And he had a house over on 25th and K Street. And she got it for me. It cost me $50 a month. And you look at it, and the roof was like that, you know. When I moved out, they condemned it and tore it down. But anyway, it was home to me. And I got to paint it and clean it up the way I liked it. And I painted the walls black in the living room. And I put stars and spaceships and all kinds of stuff. And the, the club helped me furnish it. You know, I had a sofa and I had a bed. And, you know, it was like home to me. And I'd never lived by myself in a long time. It was totally different. But she'd come by and get me and take me to meetings. And I was working on my steps and... I was learning a lot about myself that I knew that wasn't true, you know, because I sold myself a lot of baloney about me, you know, and she said, we're going to do a fourth step. You're going to, it's going to be like cleaning the closet. You're going to go and open the doors of your closet, and you're going to inventory everything in the closet. And then we're going to get together, and we're going to do the fifth step, and we're going to throw out the stuff that's not true. The old ideas, the old things that you thought were true, you know, how you didn't think you were any good and, and how that you didn't measure up. And all this stuff that I've been carrying around with myself for so long, you know. And she uh, she helped me start looking at my life. She had me down, you know, and I, I think I was a project for her. She had me wearing shoes, living in a house by myself out of the commune for her. She had me wearing shoes, living in a house by myself out of the commune. She had me working the steps. She had me eating pretty regularly. Nine pounds by myself. I got to this program. I was, uh, they called me Bones. I had one friend, Richard Real, that used to call me Ozone. He'd say, well, I knew you were here. I saw the skid marks in the sky, you know. And um, I was starting to participate in meetings. I was starting to be a part of instead of part from, you know, part of. And um, I had these bouts of depression, and I don't know where they came from, but I would turn the couch around, facing the wall, staring at the spaceships, and I wouldn't answer the door. Well... Margaret could bang on the door pretty hard, and it was pretty hard to ignore her. And um, she would go around to the north side of the house and yell through the cooler, Adam, I know you're here. Answer the door. Answer the door. And I'd just look around, and I'd say, God, cooler sounds a lot like Margaret. You know? So I'd have to get up, and I'd go to the cooler, and I'd hard, Margaret, she'd say, Karen, open the door. Oh, okay. Who said, open the door. So I'd open the door and mark Margaret. And she'd say, what's this? What's going on here? You know, and she'd move the couch and she'd just have me out of there and we'd go to dinner or lunch or whatever. You know, but she was my safety net. As we progressed through the steps and my life had begun to change, I started looking like you folks, you know. Cut my hair, um, cleaned up, took a bath every day. Um, started being like, Everybody else, you know, started to fit in. She'd say, it's time for that job. And I'd say, Mara, I get $300 a month. What do I need a job for? She 
she said, well, it's part of your identity, and we all need identities. You know, when we go around the room and we're talking about ourselves, people talk about having a job and, and having an identity, Jeremy. You're not a hippie anymore. You're not a beach park bum anymore, you know? You have a place in society, and she kept talking about this useful member of society, and I'm thinking, what the hell is that? You know? <laughs> um, I'd start with the bus again, but you don't understand. I can't remember where I've lived in the last five years, you know? How am I going to do the application? She said, you don't even have an application yet, Karen. Let's get the application. Got to go out and do the footwork. Remember, we do the footwork to arrive at a destination. Well, the footwork is you go out and you talk to people and see who's hiring. Then you get application. Okay, and then we'll, we'll work on that later. Okay. So I'm going out and I'm looking for jobs, but... You know, I still didn't have an identity, and I still didn't feel really good about myself. Um, I'd walk into a place, and I'd think, now, who's going to hire me? You know, would these people hire me? No. And I'd walk in, turn around, walk out. And then one morning, um, there was a knock at the door, and I'd peek out the window. You know, that's, that's a normal thing to do, you know, when you're halfway recovered, you know. And I, there was a sheriff's car out there. And I thought, ooh, bam, bam, bam on the door. So I answered the door, and it's this cop that chased me around forever. And uh, he said, come on, get in the car. And I thought, no, I've been sober for a while, you know. I, I, I'm, you know, I haven't gotten any trouble. I'm not drinking. I'm not using anything. I'm, you know, I'm, he said, get in the car. So I get in the car, and he starts driving out of town. I think, this is not the way to jail. He's going to take me way out in the country and dump me out. He's, this is probably some, I probably said something to him once and he's going to get even, you know. He's going to dump me way out in the country and I'll have to walk back. And uh, we turned on East Rundage and he turned into this little chain link uh, yard and he said, get out, this is where you're going to work. Now I think my sponsor had a big hand in that. I really do. She knew everybody, you know. She knew about stuff I did before I knew about it, you know, almost. But um, this was an RV repair shop for Jim. Uh, it was for Hammerfell Ford at that time. Now it's Jim Burke Ford. But, um, and I was going to be, I had an office, I had a desk, I had a chair, I had a telephone, I had a cash box with $20. And, oh, God, don't ask me about $20 because I was scared to death. You know, they were going to ask me about the $20. I spent the two first weeks there praying that the phone didn't ring and that nobody would come in and nobody would ask me about the $20. As I progressed in that job, getting my identity, becoming a useful member of society, I took over that, my little area. We had RVs stacked in the yard that didn't have parts, and I started calling manufacturers and telling them, you know what, we're not going to buy any units from you if you don't send me repair parts. And the repair parts started coming, you know, and uh, and you know how alcoholics just kind of take over? Well, I just kind of took over, and um, I was running the whole shop, and and um, 
They sit me down, they only want time to talk to Chuck, who I had the biggest problem with. I yell and scream at Chuck, send me water pumps, you know, send me such and such, send me this and that and another thing. And they sent me down to Chuck's place, and uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to really lay it on him right before I bring this unit back. And he's going to put everything in there that I need. Well, I got down there, and everything was in there that I needed, and I met Chuck. And he was the owner of the business. And I was like, whoa, I really overshot the mark this time, you know. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, you know what? He said, if you ever need a job, you come see me. Come see me. And I thought, yeah, yeah. Man, I am getting an ego. I am getting boosted, you know. I am a useful member of society, you know. I lost that job. They closed down that unit. I lost that job. And I spent days around that club whining about this, whining about that. I'd never have another good job. You know, I'm going to have to go back to sitting there. And I lost my $300 because I took the job, you know. I was really good at pointing that stuff out to my sponsor. See, you steered me wrong, you know. Um, she, uh, She'd say, you know, God doesn't close the door, but he doesn't open another door. And I went, yeah, 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 you know. And I'm going to meetings on bad mouth with my sponsor. <laughs> she did it to me again, you know. And I got another job. It was a better job. And all my jobs have been better. And I've learned not to whine about stuff. You know, it's, it's not all about the steps are important. But it's learning how to live life on life's terms. That was my big stumbling block. Because when I was new around the program, they had a little pink pot and a little pink fur around the top. And they used to set it in front of people when you whined. It was always in front of me. Always in front of me. Now, I claimed innocence when it disappeared. Okay? And I don't know where it went. I don't know what happened to it, but it, it disappeared. Um, so, you know, I can tell you that AA has been a total life-changing event for me. It's taught me how to live life on life's terms. It's taught me that all I need to do is take care of me, let everybody else take care of themselves, don't buy, try to be the controlling unit, you know, the almighty. Um, I was always worried about stuff. My sponsor used to tell me that I needed an off switch right there. And my first inclination was, well, how do I get turned back on? And she said, don't worry about it. It'll come on all about, you know, it's okay. She, um, she told me that I had trouble turning things over to God, you know, just saying, okay, I can't do anything about this today, so I'm going to go about my business and do whatever I need to do in front of me, you know. So she made me do a God box. And, of course, I always drank out of a quart jar, and I, I told her, I said, I can't do a box. I can't do a box. i got to do a jar, you know. So we did a jar. And uh, she made me write down everything that I couldn't do or wouldn't do about anything about and I had to give it to God, and I had to put it in that God jar. And then once I stuck it in that jar, I couldn't think about it again. And if I did, then I had to open up the jar, go through everything, find that one piece of paper, 
and make that decision whether I was going to do something about it or I was going to give it to God. And through that little exercise, I said, you know, she always had these little exercises for me. I learned that I was willing to do things about things that I didn't want to do things anything with, you know. Okay, let's do it. Let's get it out of the jar. I got that jar cleaned out. You know, I made those amends to people that I didn't think I could make amends to. You know, I acted like a decent human being. Um, the only, probably the department of my life that's really not kind of manageable is my road ethics. She got what she couldn't drive, so I was picking her up, you know, and I, we were going to a meeting, and we are going down the freeway, and, and I'm like, anyway, don't do that. How can you do that? You're stupid, you know. And in this little voice, I mean, she's a big lady, and this little voice, she'd say, and who made you road monitor? I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm like this AAA person, you know, still with nothing in my body, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of fidgety, and I kind of doing three things at the same time, and um, I've slowed down a lot. Al's helped me that. He's my Jeep person. You know, opposites attract. He's been really great for me. You know, when we got married in 81, people said, this is not going to work. This is never going to work. You know, we're still married. We have a great life. We live Alcoholics Anonymous in our life today. You know, early on my sponsor told me that I was responsible for two things. What went in my mouth and what came out of it. And for that, I'm responsible, you know. And, you know, knowing that just kept me out of a lot of jams. It really has. Um, you know, I, I just had this personality where I had to straighten people out, punish people, do things that they didn't even know I was doing to them. You know what I mean? But it was something. Punish people, do things that they didn't even know I was doing to them. You know what I mean? But it was something in me. I'm going to share this with you, Marie. I, I was in short stand was going to teach him a lesson. I was going to disappear. Teach him a lesson. Make him repent what they did to me. And I went to the airport and I bought a ticket to Mexico City. So I'm on this airplane and people are kind of looking at me. You know, I'm drinking. People are kind of looking at me really strange. Shorts. They're all in sweaters and coats and all of this stuff. They just don't know what the weather is down there, you know. Well, we finally landed and uh, I go up and I turn to get off the plane and I turn and they were stewardess then and I looked out there and there was a snowbank about that high. And I said, I didn't know it snowed here. And the lady looked at me and she said, we're in Alaska. Those are the kind of things I did. You know, it was really weird. Um, don't go any place with me, you know. When I was drinking, I never knew when I would stop or where I would be when I stopped, you know. Uh, I can remember waking up at Dashby at the, at the 
got there, you know. And that's kind of how my trip in AA has been. I'm here. I don't know how I got here, but I had certain things I had to do to get here. You know, and uh, I'm carrying on in Margaret's footsteps. I sponsor people. I work with young people. I can remember when we finished the, the 12th step. She said to me, she said, Karen, now it's your turn. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I don't want to know. You know, don't tell me. You know, she said, now at the 12th step, this is where you begin to pass on the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? I don't know if I can take a sick person and make them well, but I can surely take a well person and make them sick. I knew that about me. You know, there's some things I know about myself. Uh, But, you know, I, I think the oldest, Sponsee that I have is, I don't know, like 25 years old now, or real close to it. And I've got some brand new ones. And I like to think that my job in Alcoholics Anonymous is to give away what I've been given so freely, you know. It's, it's a life that I never pictured for myself. I never thought that I'd be in Alcoholics Anonymous this long. Um, June the 9th, it'll be 35 years. And... Because I just came here to get things a little bit straightened around and a little bit more livable and figure out a few little, you know, minor things. And then I was going to be moving on, you know, because I knew that these people had the tricks that I needed to have. Because they were old and I was young and I figured, you know, they know something that I don't know, but... If you're new in this program, get your sponsor. Find you a higher power. I started out with a nail in Oildale. It's a trashy little place when I went there. There was a little narrow hallway, and that's where they had a table, and they got there. The rest of it was junk. And you'd laugh at the newcomers as they fell over stuff trying to get to the toilet. You know, okay. You know, and I picked the nail on the wall because I didn't trust people. And damn, every time I, you know, I get drunk, I get a bigger nail. And my first birthday, they gave me a railroad spike. They said, Karen, this might help you. You know, continue your sobriety. <laughs> so. You do whatever you have to do. You know, I, some people get the groove. Some people, you know, get a sponsor right away. Um, you turn your will and your life over to this program, to the higher power, the God, whoever you choose to call him. You start working the steps, 1 through 12. And then you start giving away this program. And you start saying yes instead of no. Because when I was new around here, they'd say, well, can you do this? No. You know, would you? No. Now it's yes. You know, I never say no anymore. I continue to to work on Karen, be responsible, work on my spiritual growth. Because I feel that in this program that we're never done, we're never through. You know, there's always one more thing that we can do. There's always one more thing that we can share. You know, as an old-timer, I don't think of myself as an old-timer, but I I guess I am. But, you know, it's my job at where I am in my life in Alcoholics Anonymous is to say, here it is. You know, how can I help you? 
how can I help you get what I've got? You know, some sanity back in my life. Because most people that I meet are just about as insane as I was when I got here, you know, in all areas of my life. You know, I got this young girl that I'm working with now, and she thinks a guy would fix her. You know, it's going to make everything okay. And I keep saying, no, it's not the guy. It's the program. You don't need a guy in your life right now. You need the program. You need to learn how to work these steps, how to pass this on to the next person. Keep AA growing. I find a lot of people in AA that I look around and I see that don't love AA like I love AA. This is my life. You know, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, I've done other things, but I am an alcoholic. And that's what I talk about. You know, and I encourage people when we go to an AA meeting and we see somebody doing the and the and the and the thing, you know, say, just be an alcoholic. Just be a garden variety alcoholic and join us. You know, be part of us. Because I believe that the and the and the and the separates us. That doesn't make us, that gel us together like we should be in Alcoholics Anonymous. My privilege to be able to come share with you guys. I thank you for asking me, and I hope you guys everything that is out there for you. You know, and uh, thank you so much. It was a great breakfast, by the way. Thanks. I'd like to thank our speakers again, Karen and Al. Thank you so much for joining us.